Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. In this episode of Let's Talk, we will be discussing building business ecosystems and how to lead them effectively. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Roland Dyser, Executive Chairman at the Centre for the Future of Organisation, Drucker School of Management. Roland, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susie. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Roland, you are interested in designing and fostering transformational capabilities, exploring boundaries and learning innovation in complex organisations. You founded the Centre for the Future of Organisation at the Drucker School of Management in 2015. You've authored several books, of which Transformers and Designing the Smart Organization. You also served as founding dean of Daimler's Corporate University and created the Executive Corporate Learning Forum, ECLF, where we first met, a network of senior executives from global corporations to co-create and develop strategic thinking and organizational capabilities. I would like to come back to complex organizations, networks, and interdependent leadership, our favorite topics. Um, <laughs> yes. And more particularly to the latest project in the Center for the Future of Organization, the project on business ecosystem leadership. So, mm-hmm. Roland, can you tell us a bit more about this project? Why this subject? And more importantly, why now? Well, thanks, Susie, for the very nice introduction. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we did a project maybe a couple of years ago, which we were looking deeper at digital transformation challenges. Back then, mm-hmm. digital transformation as a buzzword has come a little bit of age, but still was very prominent. And I mm-hmm. believe it still is, of course, but it lost a little bit its buzzword character towards systems <laughs> right now. But okay. if you look at digital transformation challenges that organizations face and that leaders face, a big one is driven, of course, through the uh, digitalization of industries Mm-hmm. that suddenly you know become technology industries where they used to be maybe um, manufacturing some tools or whatever but the digital enhancement of products and services makes them technology industries suddenly which means in order to live their digital transformation successfully they have to engage in ecosystems much more than they had before mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know the the product service portfolio is never coverable through that what they would have in their own capabilities. So that kind of imperative to engage in ecosystems is something which has been driven through digital transformation or digitalization. And that brought us then as one key driver uh, to look at ecosystem leadership in a more uh, kind of focused way. Yeah. So that was the, the, the history where we got to that kind of thing. Okay. And you define a business ecosystem as an interdependent value creation network of an organization that reaches beyond its boundaries. So how do you see organizations trying to put this in place and what does it mean for their current ways of working? So maybe backing up a little bit, I think that, you know, we always have been living in in ecosystems, of course, also before the age of digital, more conscious or not. Mm -hmm. The main, uh, let's say, you know, management model of the 20th century, though, has been a transactional one and the, and the linear one. And in many cases, it still is, which means, you know, it's it's driven from the inside out. You develop certain kind of products and ideas and you throw them over the fence and hope it works in the market or you throw them out and try to push them into the market. Mm-hmm. And uh, your supply chain and your 
relationship to the customers is 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 rather a linear one. Yeah. Whereas mm -hmm. uh, in an ecosystem thinking, those are interconnected clusters that jointly as a network create that value with players who are not dependent on each other. They are, of course, as well, but they are interdependent, which means there is much more a collaborative and co-creative nature of the way they do business together. Mm -hmm. And so the capabilities in order to perform well and effective in such a mindset or in such an ecosystem kind of environment are very different uh, because uh, in the traditional organizational model, you would be able to command and control more or less your kind of processes and you know the, the products and services you develop and then you throw them out. Whereas if you go into a co-creation and to kind of a networked uh, way of production, you uh, lose control in the traditional way. You've got to mm. negotiate a lot. You, you need different contractual agreements and so on and so forth. So the mindset is some mindset that requires a systems thinking rather than just your own, you know, kind of organization or your own function being the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing a big shift in in paradigms in terms of mindset, but also in terms of business processes and business models and the way systems interact today. In your research paper, you underline 12 leadership challenges to mm -hmm. leading these business ecosystems. Can you tell us a little bit more about those challenges and which are the most important for you? Yes, so, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to structure that and we struggled for a long <laughs> <Sorry>. time. <laughs> Yeah, we struggled for a long time to get this into kind of a categorization. And even in our research report, we currently just uh, list them in an order, you know, that doesn't really have a deeper structure. But what we try to do is to distill some key elements that are necessary um, to compete successfully in uh, business ecosystems. And we are actually just kicked off a follow-on project of getting these capabilities into even more structured framework. So I, without any kind of now preference, which is more important or less important, I can certainly allude to a few of them. We already talked about, for instance, the understanding of network dynamics, which is, yeah. which is very different than, than just um, understanding your own organization. I mean, there's been a lot of work in understanding the networks dynamics within an organization. This has been on the list uh, for quite a while and people understand yeah, inside we've got to collaborate, you know, in, in agile teams and so on and so forth. Mm. But, but very often this remains within the organization or if it goes outside, let's say you involve customers or, or suppliers or other stakeholders in order to, you know, cr you create your agile way to create, for instance, mm -hmm. new products and services. You still do it from the perspective of maximizing your own performance, maximizing your own value as an organization. In an ecosystem mindset, you would maximize the performance and success of the ecosystem. That means of the larger system. Mm -hmm. So if you, let's say, are a big major player, you might only contribute a marginal element to an ecosystem, and you might be frustrated because you say, oh, we could do so much more. But if you would throw this all in, you might destroy the actually business model of the ecosystem and work. It wouldn't work that way. And understanding dynamics is, is very hard to do because it means you have to take your own interest back uh, in the interest of the larger system. And, you know, if you think about it, this, of course, is something 
which is also applicable on a much, much larger scale. Uh, we have yeah. to take back our interest, even as, you know, humanity, in order to understand that we live in a larger ecosystem, which is the planet. And <laughs> if we take our own interest as the ultimate goal, we might destroy that planet. So this, this notion of understanding that if you maximize your own interest, you're destroying the conditions of your existence is something we're not very much used to. You know, I, I, I did some work way, way back, I think it was really more than 20 years ago, in a piece saying that we, we evolve as humans also from a very centric perspective to, a, to, to an increasingly, they say, decentered perspective. Mm -hmm. Think about we were, the earth was the middle of the universe, right? And, yeah. and then the, the, the sun was heliocentric. And then our solar system, eventually now we know we're specks in multiple, you know, uh, galaxies. And understanding we're just a speck in a multiple galaxy is very different from, you know, we are the center. And that same yeah. thing goes for organizations. They have a hard time to let go of that. I was just going to say that's the journey they're on, isn't it? And I think particularly post-pandemic, the necessity yeah. to do that uh, in a more determined, proactive way has right. become more and more apparent. So the shift from individual to collective it right. needs to happen, I'm hearing, inside the organization, but more particularly outside of the organization so that they can yes. start forming a collective system with which society can work. It's nice you say that, uh, Susie, you know, uh, individual and collective. It's mm. really that kind of contradiction which you cannot solve, really. It's not an either-or. It's really an end. You cannot give up the individual just in favor of the collective because uh, mm -hmm. you would destroy it in yes. a way and it's important in order that the system works right mm. so it's kind of a structural how should I say not ambiguity it's a kind of a structural tension a mm. dialectic tension that needs to stay alive it's like yin and yang you need the collective you need the individual you need both very often we have that either or thinking about yes and and um, I, yes, it's very much like managing polarities. So yes, you know, where's where's the exactly middle right. ground? Where's the middle that is ground? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that hybrid model, because it is hybrid, because organisations are particularly individual today. Mm -hmm. They need to get more collective. But as you say, the other end of the scale, we don't want them without individuals in them. Clearly, so that brings me to the idea of managing boundaries. That's one of the 12 challenges, of course, is the boundary management challenge, mm. right? I personally have always been extremely fascinated by boundaries, by the way, for, <laughs> for the same reasons, because yeah. the individual and the collective realizes itself through boundary management, right? Clearly. And you can think even in, in very small levels, you know, I, I don't know if you're married, but, you know, if you're in a relationship, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there are individual interests of the partner and there is the interest of the relationship, the marriage. Mm. And, you know, if you maximize each of those, you destroy them, right? If you maximize the interest of the couple, yeah. then individuality gets lost. And if you maximize the individual, uh, then, you know, you threaten the relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, on a larger scale, true for organizations as well. And understanding what happens in these boundaries and designing them and leveraging them in the way that it's an ongoing learning process mm. that you change and learn and evolve by, you know, discussing these boundaries and make them sometimes more open, sometimes less open. This is also in ecosystems a big problem. How much IP do I share? How yeah. much do I, how close do I collaborate? 
how strong do I keep uh, things away from you? And mm -hmm. the complexity adding to the boundary management is that in ecosystems, we typically will have very different stakeholders with different operating models, different size, very often different industries, very often different you know, deal types. You might have a licensing deal versus a joint venture. You might have an ongoing corporation and so on and so forth, uh, even up to M&A, yeah. that uh, you know, the, the boundaries you have with the different stakeholders might be very different. So you have to have this whole portfolio of, let's say, stakeholders you have, yeah. portfolio of operating systems, means a portfolio of uh, boundary management strategies and so on and so forth, which makes this thing very complex. Yeah, and I think it's about relationship system intelligence, isn't it? It's There isn't one leader as such. It's around yes. creating, yes. it reminds me actually at a, an internal level of empowered teams or agile teams. So creating communities or teams that can then become ecosystems and work on some of the biggest challenges, either inside or outside the organization, which is my definition of, of a more of a platform. Yeah. No, I just want to say that, you know, it, it comes to the governance challenge, which is another one of those 12, <laughs> where you have in an organization, you know, that has a legal framework, mm. you know, in the constitution, you have also governance and that's more or less accepted. It's usually hierarchical and as we are trying to become maybe holocratic and whatever mm. and self-organized and that all things may happen, it's still they still happen under the under the governance of an entity that has the ability to shape and design a certain kind of hopefully enabling structure systems and processes. Mm -hmm. If you're in the ecosystem, you know, you might have 10, 20, sometimes hundreds of players who maybe claim some kind of governance power. But there is no constitution that would give anybody the legitimate power. So you may have it because, let's say, in a platform, you're an orchestrator. Let's say you provide extremely mission-critical services. Let's say, you know, mm -hmm. you're an Amazon and you provide the cloud and without cloud, the whole thing wouldn't work. And definitely you would have a very powerful position in that ecosystem, but it is not as powerful as a codified governance that is within the legal framework of an organization. So mm -hmm. in ecosystems, you know, it's a contractual, it's a multi-contractual arrangement that shifts and is fluid all over time as new players enter, other players may exit, and so on and so forth. And leadership then means very much the ability to act in these horizontal, you know, kind of relationships which are not supported uh, through kind of a, a you know legitimate legal uh, framework mm -hmm. so it's the, the, the big big difference but I think you know distributed leadership is around more horizontal what, what I call interdependent leadership but it's also about managing a shift in the balance of power isn't it you know what what role does organizational politics play in that for you Interesting you mentioned that. I think that we have a totally underestimated role of organizational politics <laughs> yeah. generally, yeah. right? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, if you look inside organizations, you, of course, have the other politics as well. And it's very interesting. I think that social media and all that kind of, you know, stuff that makes people hear their voice with all the negative thing that comes with it as well, mm -hmm. still has enabled us to see informal 
uh, power dynamics much more than we were able to see them before. Yes. You, know, yes. you have the formal organization, the org chart, you know, there is the CEO, the senior <laughs> vice president, and it goes down to, I don't know, the staff or the frontline people. And then you would believe, well, the powerful person is the CEO because, you know, he's the CEO. And uh, you always look into hierarchical formal power kind of attributes. But if you do social network analysis and you look, you know, the way people engage and influence each other, mm-hmm. I recently saw a chart, you know, of such an organizational network analysis and having somebody in the middle there. And it, it was Heidi, uh, the person in the mailroom, who was okay. actually the most influential person because she spoke yeah. to everybody. And, and in her mailroom, executives met maybe and talked about mm. things they listened to. And as we know, there is the formal decision making. Yeah. But the real thing usually happens maybe if people meet in the hallways or at restrooms and serendipity happens to come, oh, let's do this. And suddenly it finds its way then into the formal process, of course, but mm. it's generated very often informally. And yeah. so if we talk about power, we need to differentiate between formal and informal power systems and the informal ones being, I believe, the more uh, important than the real ones. Mm-hmm. And now we extend this to understanding power dynamics in ecosystems, and then you see how complex the whole thing becomes because uh, ecosystems are less codified than uh, organizations. They mm-hmm. don't have clear org charts. It's something that in a way, is much more anarchic. The kind of dynamics are less visible. Mm. Uh, it's hard right now to have uh, organizational networks analytics to apply to an ecosystem because yeah, you cannot even command people complete a survey as you can do within an mm. organization. You usually mm. don't have a distributed kind of data generation and analytical tools because they are sitting inside organizations and yeah. not in ecosystems. So that becomes very interesting element of it. And how do you see um, organizations navigating those formal and informal power systems to get today? Are there any trends coming up? On one hand, so if we talk about the organization as a unit and not uh, ecosystem, right? Yeah. Start with the organization. There is definitely change happening through the technology we have today to understand the designs and the workings mm. and dynamics of networks through that tool of organizational analysis. And there is uh, work done by a colleague of mine, Rob Cross, uh, you know, at Babson, who has developed a lot of uh, tools to understand that better. And that tools and this thinking that there is more behind the organization than the hierarchy and the org chart has really entered executive suites and people started to understand that. If you go beyond that organization, I don't think that we have currently much available. Mm-hmm. And this is really a, a green field. This is where we're doing our research right now is how, mm-hmm. how do you engage as an organization, no matter if you're a startup or if you're an 800-pound gorilla like a Siemens or an Airbus, which mm-hmm. you were with in earlier times, how do you engage successfully to make that system not only perform well, be efficient, have an output that works very well, and still keep your own you know, balance between, as you said, individual and collective interests. There is not much out there yet. No, which is exciting. I think that there's not much out there yet, but it, it's an interesting journey, I think, to look at what are the barriers to successful ecosystem management? Because as you say, today, we don't 
we don't know. Yeah. I mean, we did a survey, which is also part of the research paper you have in your hands. And mm-hmm. we found quite a few elements that are barriers. And, you yeah. know, one, one of the main thing, obviously, is, and, and that goes way back to, I think, was it Sharma? Some of these guys formulated, you know, echo system versus ego yes yes and if you look at the collective again or just at your ego Mm. and and this tendency especially the larger organizations get that they are inward oriented Mm. because their complexity leads to bureaucracy bureaucracy leads to the phenomenon that you're busy with yourselves that is something that creates invisible stronger boundaries to the outside that is something that really holds you back to engage successfully because you just don't even have the, the mind to look outside. Yeah. I mean, in a way, Susie, you know, I, I just got off a conversation before we got online with a, with a friend of mine out of Switzerland. We talked about, you know, the, the future of leadership. And mm. we've been talking about this as an old friend of mine since years and years and years. Not much has changed. Uh, leaders... <laughs> need that very basic quality that you need in a 21st century organization, which is be curious, look outside, care for what's going on in other systems, you know, Mm -hmm. co-create, communicate in different ways. Uh, This kind of horizontal leadership capabilities have been discussed. Mm. I think they become an even more important element if it comes to engaging ecosystems. Mm. And I think for me, they're all facets of learning agility whether it's the learning agility of a person, of an organization, or of a system. How do, you, how do you think we can help ecosystems to develop that learning agility? Does it need to start with the individual? Well, I think it needs both. So mm. if we look at, at, at these leadership capabilities for, for business ecosystems, we look both at people capabilities, but also at organizational capabilities. Yeah. On the people side, I think those are these generic you know, traits that you would ask from a 21st century leader, which is, you know, be humble, be one who rather asks questions than has Mm. the answers, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, have this kind of openness to know that you don't know, uh, still have some kind of major purpose that you can rest in so that you're not just a leaf in the wind. Yeah. Of course, the Mm -hmm. other side. And and, and so on and so forth. And we could talk about those qualities at length. I think one of them, again, when I go back is, I think the curiosity is important. I think it's very important to go outside your traditional ways of thinking of your cognitive frames that you have. If you are a marketing person, mm-hmm. start to think also in finance, in HR, in strategy and other functions mm-hmm. and not just in your silo. Yeah. You know, if you are in an industry, mm-hmm. automotive don't think only cars because it's much, much bigger than that. And this mm. curiosity, which is going on outside your typical you know, domain in which you feel safe and feel being an expert, is yeah. just not good enough in ecosystems. So, so that would be on the, on, on the leadership side. Mm. If you look at the organizational side, if you need to engage in this portfolio of different relationships, in this portfolio of different operating systems, in a place where there is no established legally codified governance, Mm. then you need also as an organization change in the way you govern yourself. Because all that agility is something you need in order to even successfully engage outside. You you cannot be 
a rigid, you know, traditional player and then have the flexibility that you need then outside. Mm. Connected. Yeah. And so I think all that discussion we have about agile organization, you know, and, and iterating stuff mm. and having cross-functional teams and all that kind of things is important in order to be able to be a successful participant in an ecosystem. And I think it, we're back to the discussion that introversion and self-centricity was one of the most important barriers and the inability to think beyond the current way of doing business. If I take the fact that digital has massively enabled end-to-end collaboration and communication, is there a link for you between the digital maturity of an ecosystem and the way the, way the people or the organizations in the ecosystem manage it? We have looked not at the digital maturity of the ecosystem, but at the digital maturity of the organization. Okay. So, you know, if, if you are a company, and of course, we could discuss what does it mean to be digital mature, right? And, and, and <laughs> Different, there are podcast. Obviously... <laughs> Different podcast. Different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> exactly. But, but, you know, there is, there is one thing, obviously, which, which is enabling technological infrastructure. If yeah. you don't have that, it's really hard. You know, if we wouldn't have, mm. you know, that, we couldn't do that that kind of conversation right now. So that is one thing, I think. Uh, the other thing of digital maturity is more the social mm. uh, or you know, this, this is socio-technical kind of combination of maturity you need. And it then you know folds into what kind of leadership do you need? What kind of governance do you need? How can you have kind of self-organizing, self-editing micro-organizations that, you know, work inside and so on and so forth and also outside. So if you add all this up into digital maturity, Mm. then we found also empirical, a very strong correlation between the ability to act successfully in ecosystems and digital maturity. So the more you are digital mature, the better a player you are in a business ecosystem at least, you know, for most of the roles in the ecosystem. Because mm-hmm. how do these participants connect? They, they need to connect with, uh, through, through platforms, right, mm. uh, usually. Uh, how do they develop products and services? Uh, much of it is digital these ways. Yeah. How is it done? Mm-hmm. It's done through co-creation. Uh, it's done through open innovation and all these kind of things that actually belong to the digital maturity. So, yes, there is a yeah. clear correlation. Okay, so I'm hearing technology platforms and the platform mindset, so the shift in paradigm of co-creation mm-hmm. and interdependent mm-hmm. leadership. Thank you, Roland. Would you have any last tips or recommendations on successfully engaging business ecosystems? Well, <laughs> it's really an interesting question because we were also discussing the various stages of an ecosystem, right? You can yeah. go and say, well, I have an idea and I'd like to create an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And you, Lucy, yourself, we just talked about that you were engaged in creating Skywise, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a great platform and ecosystem for predictive maintenance of airplane engines. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, as Airbus did this, you know, you, you had a vision, you saw that could be a lot of synergies and interesting kind of cost savings and also performance improvements if you bring together the key players that contribute you know to predictive maintenance so you designed an ecosystem you know you had a strategy to select certain partners you created mm-hmm. the kind of infrastructure they could collaborate there and so on and so forth now that's very different than from when you're invited for instance into an ecosystem yes right? clearly mm-hmm. so if, if you're the one who gets invited to the table 
the, the capabilities are very different. You don't mm-hmm. you need strategic capabilities, but you need still to understand your contribution uh, to the larger whole. And then, you know, it might happen that there is a life cycle of an ecosystem when you create it. It's great. We have a lot of energy. We have a strategy. But then, you know, you, you start to fail on the way. And then you start to try to scale that up. And there was a recent very interesting piece by, by BCG, uh, by the yeah. Henderson Institute, mm. on, you know, the, the failure of ecosystems. And there's so often, you know, in, in like with M&A, or with startups or with many, many other things, the famous 80, 85% fail yeah. and only, you know, 15 to 20% succeed. And what PCG found in their study was that the failures happen during scaling. Yeah. So it's easy to be excited at the beginning, yeah, but, you know, clearly. now sustain that whole thing. Uh, it mm-hmm. becomes much more difficult because then stuff uh, goes uh, and wrong and, and, and collaboration doesn't work as expected and so on and so forth. But I think, you know, if, if I want to give a tip, as you said, how to engage best is the first thing, you know, as always with business modeling and business mm-hmm. ideas, I think you need a, a vision, you need a purpose. Why do you do that? You need a kind of an idea of what this ecosystem can produce as a value if you engage in it. As I said, these days, there is often not much choice. Mm. better really start to uh, understand that you need also to change your own organization in order to perform well in an ecosystem. And you just cannot step out and think it works without having all these change imperatives Mm. applying to yourselves as well. Mm. And anticipating the move from exciting small project to something more scalable, if I've understood correctly. Yeah, Mm. right. Okay. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us, Roland. It's fabulous. I always enjoy these conversations. Also with you, you bring so much yourself to the table. So that's fabulous. Me too. Thank you very much. You can find out more about Roland and the Center for the Future of Organization on their website, www.futureorg.org or www.eclf.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and rating. So it's bye from me and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk.